1931. Who was alive in 1931? I know some of y'all had to be. Zach was. He, he, no. No old people, huh? Scott was. Uh, 1931, Dale Carnegie wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Who's read that book before? Any of you all? That book was written, what, 102 years ago? And in that 102 years, it sold over 30 million copies. It's one of the highest-selling books ever recorded outside of this book that we study from each and every week. It's one of the top-selling books of all time. And the point of the book, I'm, I'm going to be transparent, I've never read the book. But my understanding is the point of the book. The target audience was business people, salespeople, those in that world. And the whole goal was to teach you how to be successful and to influence people to pretty much go along with what you're selling or the, the business that you're running and to have a successful career. The goal was to influence people. Today, uh, 102 years later, I'm sure Dale Carnegie would have never looked down the road and said, there's actually going to be a career called influencer. Who knew that was going to happen even, what, 10 years ago? Who knew that there were people whose job was going to be as an influencer, that it would be a profession? And I looked this week, if you look at all of the dream jobs that are for young people growing up right now, it is number seven on the list of dream jobs worldwide. People want to be influencers. Maybe some of you want to be influencers. Maybe some of you all are influencers. And if you are an influencer, uh, those can be incredibly lucrative jobs. And if you are an influencer with an incredibly lucrative job, you need to begin tithing. I'm just kidding. You probably do. Um, the whole point is, you know, you look at what the definition of an influencer is. And Merriam-Webster says, an influencer is a person who inspires or guides the actions of others. Well, that makes sense. But even Merriam-Webster has kept up with the times. And now, if you read it, the second entry on the definition of an influencer is a person who is able to generate interest in something, such as a consumer product, by posting about it on social media. Who really thought that was going to be a job one day? I mean... I wish I could do that because that's an awesome job. Let's just do some videos on products and make money doing it. It's pretty cool. Um, the whole, whole point is cultivating this image so that people will follow you and let your influence alter their influence and maybe bring you along their way. That's the whole point of what an influencer is. And let's be honest, people, all of us, we form our opinions based on what we see, a lot of times primarily what we see, but sometimes in combination with what we experience with that person. So we form our opinions on each other by how we see each other and at some extent what our experience has been with you. So what do we do? As human beings, we all cultivate an image. Every one of us. You may not actively be saying, well, I'm going to do this so that people will look at me this way, but that's why the, we talked about it with those social media posts a couple of weeks ago, how nobody actually posts what happened just before you took the picture when the kids are happy in the picture and they were screaming at you 30 seconds before. That, that's why we do those things, because we are cultivating this image that people want to see. That's why uh, maybe the most popular thing that we see, here, we're going to do it as a church this morning, is this pose right here. i got to turn that around. Everybody smile. We do selfies. Who's the selfie takers in here? Anybody want to admit to that? Angie, are you a selfie taker? Ty wouldn't lie. Well, she learned it from you, Angie. You're her mother. That's why that is the most popular uh, image that, that people do. That's the most popular thing. But it's, it's not just social media. We are cultivating an image, whether it's on our, our social media or whether it's the fall decorations you put out on your front porch. We are cultivating an image that we want people to see. And that garners us some influence. So here's the question for today. What if we can truly garner influence that actually makes a difference in our world? What if we can actually not cultivate an image, but garner influence amongst our friends and our family and our neighbors and our coworkers that doesn't just present an image, it makes a difference in this world? 
I don't know about you, but I would think uh, as we cultivate this image, it's kind of exhausting. I mean, really think about those who have to keep up with their... I mean, if you look at my social media, it's not hard for me to keep up. I don't post a lot. Everything I post is all about the church. But it can be exhausting and honestly, it's usually inauthentic. It goes back to those, those pictures that I threw up there a couple of weeks ago. It goes back to the idea of some of you all walked in this morning with that big happy face on right after you told your wife how terrible she was. Or it's more likely your wife told you how terrible you were when you walked in the door this morning, husbands. We cultivate an image that we want people to see, and it's inauthentic, and sometimes it's kind of empty. But here's the problem with that. We were never meant to cultivate any sort of image. That isn't what God created us to do. We, are, we weren't meant to do that. And you know what happens when we cultivate this image and we, we focus so much on what other people view us as? We end up with self-love or self-loathing. We, we either end up having this image that we can look and say, I'm pretty good, you know. Look at my neighbor. Look at what they're posting on social media. My life is way better than theirs, even though we know you're lying on your social media. It's not really true. Or we look at it and say, man, my life's terrible. I'm a terrible person. And we begin either loving ourselves too much or loathing ourselves too much, and we find ourselves in this, this place where we're either too good or we're not good enough. You are not created to be an image cultivator. You're created to be an image bearer. The image has already been cultivated. It has already been placed upon you as a follower of Jesus. You're not to cultivate an image. We are to bear the image of our Lord and Savior Christ. And if we do that, man, it removes all the pressure. You don't have to stress about that anymore. If you really live that out in the stuff that we are, are projecting out to the world is just the love of our Savior and just being genuine about it, it takes off all the pressure. So today's message is entitled, Death to Selfie. We want to kill the idea of selfie. And I'm not just talking about this. I'm talking about the idea of having to cultivate this image. Death to selfie is what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, as a church, the most defining characteristic of us should be love. I mean, when people look at Northview Church, or any church for that matter, the most defining characteristic should be love. Jesus' own words in John chapter 13 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world you are my disciples. He doesn't say how much you go out and, and serve. He doesn't say how many times you go share the gospel. That all just is an outgrowth of love. And he doesn't even say how much you love your community. He says your love for each other is how people will know you are disciples of Christ. The church should be defined by love. That should be the most defining characteristic that we have. Our love for each other should be the convincing proof to the outside world that the gospel is real. Because a church is a group of people who are totally different, who have all kinds of, of weird things going on. A group of personalities. And it should be the defining characteristic that projects to the world that the gospel is real because somehow God takes this group of people who should not always love each other, yet we do, or we should. But we don't always live that way. I mean, let's, if we were a church that was really doing this right, people will be knocking down the doors to get in every Sunday. Because it is so attractive. It's not about the music on the stage. It's definitely not about the preaching. It's about the community, the love. 
And when people see that coming out of the, out of the church, they want it. And that should be what points and says the gospel has to be true. But some of y'all are pretty hard to love. I mean, really, let's be honest about it. Some complain all the time about everything that's going on. It's hard to love. Or, or it's a one-up kind of thing. It's like, let me tell you about this thing I got going on. And they tell you, and they're like, well, let me tell you about what I got going on. Mine's much worse than yours. Or, or some are just miserable people to be around. That nothing's ever good, nothing's ever makes them happy. It's just miserable. So look to the side. Front, side, look at everybody around you. Get a good look. Now don't tell them. But if, you, if you're not sitting someone that, close some, to someone that you can say you're hard to love, you're probably the one that's hard to love. I can start naming names if you want. I'm not going to do that. All of y'all are not easy to love. I'm just going to be honest. Because we're all hard to love sometimes. I, I know that I'm hard to love sometimes. No amens over here. I know that I'm hard to love sometimes. We're all hard to love sometimes. And, and I believe that's why in this section, as Paul has done the, the transition from explaining the, the necessity of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel, he's transitioned in chapter 12 to the application of the gospel. I believe that's one of the reasons he began it this way, what we studied last week in verse 1 of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I believe he began that way because we can't do that, do this because it's not in our nature. We can't do it unless it's an outpouring of the gospel. He doesn't say, just present yourselves as a sacrifice. He says, by the mercies of God, that the only way you can do this is by God's mercy, by God's grace, through the beauty of the gospel is the only way we can even come close to living out this idea of sacrificing for each other and for our God. And we do it because we need each other. We, we cannot grow in our faith without each other. We cannot be successful on the mission God has given us without each other. We need each other. And Paul, he even talks about that in these next few verses. In, in verses 3 through 8, he talks about the gifts that every believer has been given. And he, he lists some of the gifts that we've been given and talks about how we have to use those in service of the church. Whatever you've been gifted to do, use it. Get up and use it. Don't just sit in the seat on Sunday morning. Get up and serve. And, and, and here's why he says it in verse 12. So it is with Christ's body, we are many parts of one body. But catch what he says here. And we all belong to each other. The Bible defines the church as the bride of Christ. That means we're a family. We are in this together, whether you want to be or not. We are a family. We need each other. And Paul says, not only that, we belong to each other. We have to serve and help each other on the mission of the gospel. Church equals family. We love each other, no matter how hard we are to love. And not only that, we work together for the good of the mission. Do you truly love your church? Do you truly care for the people in this room? And if you do, is that playing itself out by you sacrificing and serving, maybe in an area you don't want to serve? We work together for the gospel. And then in verses 9 through 21, where we're going to camp out for this morning, he goes into application of what this looks like. Joby Martin's a pastor in Jacksonville, Florida, and he said that to be someone who's controlled by the gospel is kind of like being infected. Like 
Some, some of us have been sick recently. My kids had, had strep throat. Can't say that word. Stre- we're just going to say strep. Uh, like two weeks ago. There's symptoms that come along with that, right? There's a fever, sore throat, um, kind of sluggishness a little bit. So you know whenever you have some symptoms going on that it's pointing towards something that's within you. And Joby Martin says when you have been infected by the gospel, these symptoms that are listed in verses 9 through 21 better be present. So let's begin. Let's look at what these symptoms need to look like if we are a church that is infected by the gospel. And it all goes back to loving each other. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So what's the first symptom that we see? That true love is humble. It can't be about you. True love is sincere. True love is is genuine. True love is without hypocrisy. You know, if you talk to non-Christians who tell you, who will answer a survey and say, I'm not going to the church because the number one answer all the hypocrites in the church. We're all hypocrites. I mean, we really are because we, we proclaim the gospel, but then we do things that aren't gospel-centered all through the week. I do it myself on a regular basis. We're hypocrites because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're in the image of God, but we don't live that way. And Paul says true love has to be sincere, has to be genuine, has to be without hypocrisy. Churches... They can be places of some of the most phony love out there. Maybe you grew up in a church and you've experienced that before. It's an epidemic in churches because you have this warm, polite candy coating and it's over this core of of jealousy where you have, have backbiting, you have gossip going on. And it's masked, well, we're in the South, so it's really masked under, bless your heart. And then we say whatever we want to say. Or we'll just say what we want to say, and with all due respect, you're an idiot. Well, I mean, we'll, we try to sugarcoat it with just, with all due respect, or we'll bless your heart. You know, even in prayer requests, it turns into a gossip circle sometimes. I don't know if you've ever been in a prayer circle where people start sharing requests and, you know, they start out as genuine typically and then somebody's like, well, let me tell you about my neighbor. My neighbor's got this going on and I saw this person going in and out of their house and their husband wasn't home. So I know that they got some bad stuff going on there. So can we pray for them today? And your whole goal is to just tell everybody what's going on with your neighbor, not to pray for them. Churches can be a place a phony love. And we cannot influence our community with phony love. We're not going to be successful with that if we're not genuine. And that means we do call each other out sometimes. But it means we love each other in the process. Jesus had harsh words for people like this. In Matthew chapter 23, he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, Hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Man, Jesus just laid it down. I hope that's not us. A few years ago, I was working, it was when I was at Mount Harmony, and I'm sitting in my office one day, and my office, if you've never been there, my office was right next to a kitchen, and I start getting this kind of smell. Where are you going? You're my son. Sit down. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out. (laughs) He's never coming back to church. So anyways, I'm sitting there, and I start to get this this kind of faint smell going on. And I'm like, somebody has left something nasty in that garbage can in the kitchen. So I go in there, and I look, I don't see anything. And I'm kind of mad. I'm like, somebody just needs to clean this place up. 
Um, but then I go back in my office and the, the smell's kind of faded. Well, the next day, it's there again. And it's a little bit stronger. I'm like, what is going on? But I just kind of play it off. I, got, I think we had youth that night, so I didn't really, I wasn't in the office that much. But the next day I get in there and it's like almost unbearable. It is just nasty smell. So we start looking around. And I am up lifting ceiling tiles. Like, what is going on in here? Nothing. Can't find anything. But I notice that the smell is stronger as you go down the hall. And I get down, and for those of you who know Chris Sliger, his office was down the hall from me. And I'm like, this office smells worse than a football locker room. I mean, it was terrible. He's like, I know, dude. I don't know what it is. I mean, so we start looking around in his office, and we move a ceiling tile, and we find this dead mouse. And it had been there a long time. It's... I'm going to gross y'all out. It's one of those that's starting to liquefy kind of things, you know. If it stays much longer, it's going to be dripping through the ceiling tile. You know, the offices at Mount Harmony, they're nice. Um, updated about 10 years ago. They're in good shape. The carpet's all taken care of. was painted just a few years ago. But it could not cover up that smell. Febreze cannot cover up that smell. I mean, it was one of those that penetrates everything. It looks good, but in that ceiling, it was dead, it was rotting. And a lot of times, that's how the church is. And this isn't a Northview church thing. This is a church thing. A lot of times, the church is beautiful on the outside, presenting all the things right, but inside, it's dead and it's rotting. And we're eating each other alive. And we wonder why the community is not interested in what we have to offer. Because our love is often phony. And we look around and we, we say, if we're all hypocrites, maybe we should just give up. And some people do. And they walk away from the church never to come back. But Paul is saying, no, don't give up. Surrender. Repent and surrender. Because while it's hard to love, and we may look at people and say, there's no way I can love them. We love them anyways, and in the process, we ask God, change our hearts. Help my love to be more genuine. I'm going to love through actions, and God, you work on my heart. I'm surrendering this all to you. Our love has to be genuine. It cannot be phony. True love is humble. It always puts everyone else first. And true love is honest. That, the second part of that verse we just read, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That word abhor is hatred. Like hate sin. Don't soft pedal it. Don't, don't do anything, but call it what it is. When sin is sin, call it sin. Tolerance is not a value you will find anywhere in the Bible. That is a modern day value that is hammered all the time. It is not a biblical value because the reality of it is tolerance is rooted in self. Because the reason tolerance is such a big deal is because we don't want the other people to think we're intolerant. We want them to like us. But it is the exact opposite of love. If we don't abhor what is evil and share the truth with people, then we are not living out the love we're called to live. Abhor evil, hate it, detest it. Because not telling the truth is not helping anybody. It's driving them further and further from the gospel. But I don't want to offend them. I don't either. But the gospel is offensive if we're honest about it. And true love has to be honest. We have to love them. We have to love each other. And true love shows honor. In verses 10 and 11, 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. True love shows honor. It's recognizing and acknowledging the value of someone else's life. It's recognizing and acknowledging that you were purchased by the same blood for the same price that I was purchased for. Maybe I have been a Christian longer than you, or maybe you have been a Christian longer than me, or maybe you see other people doing dumb things in their Christian walk. They are just as valued as you. We show honor and we respect and recognize the value that other people have. In our culture, honor is all based on accomplishments. What have you done to accomplish honor? Why should we show you any respect? If you're a football fan, who knows who Joe Montana is? Good, most of you. If you're not a football fan, he was a quarterback who played in the 80s for the San Francisco 49ers. I believe he won three Super Bowls. might have been two. I can't remember for sure. Three? Was it three? Uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. And I saw an interview that he did uh, right before football season started this year. And the interviewer asked him, who is the best quarterback to ever play the game of football? Now, he could have easily said himself, right? Because he was one of the best to ever play the game. And he said, well, depends on how you approach the question. He said, there's really two things you need to look at. The best... And the greatest. He said, greatest is based on accomplishments. Who did the most on the football field? And that would be Tom Brady. Boo. That was not enthusiastic enough. That would be Tom Brady. Thank you. Because we all know it's Peyton Manning. And he said, but anyone that I list is not going to be the best. He said, the best that I ever saw was Dan Marino. Now, if you don't know who Dan Marino was, he was a quarterback in the 80s and 90s, played for the Miami Dolphins, only got to one Super Bowl and lost it. But it wasn't because he was a bad quarterback, it's because he was on terrible teams. And he was, I remember watching him play, and he was a fantastic quarterback. And Joe Montana says he is the best that's ever played the position. Not the greatest, because he didn't accomplish anything as far as championships. But he is the best. Our culture bases our value on our accomplishments. But the gospel says every person is valued. Every person who we come up and see, whether they are, are a drug addict or homeless, or whether they are incredibly successful in their careers, they are valued by God the same as we are. There is no difference. We have all been purchased by the same blood and dwelt by the same Spirit. And Paul says, outdo one another. If you're a competitive per per person, compete in that. Compete on, I can show more honor than anybody else in the church. Prove it. Go, compete. Outdo one another in showing each other honor. You, you know, we treat celebrities when we see them, we're like, so excited to see him and want to get their autographs and all those things. Let's treat each other that way. Imagine how different that is when you walk in and it's like, Mike, I'm so happy to see you. I'm not going to ask you for an autograph, but still, I'm so, I really am happy that you're here today. But do we convey that regularly? Paul says, compete in this. Show each other. Outdo each other in honor. But we've traded honor for cynicism as a society. I was getting my hair cut the other day, and the barber was talking to me. Um, he's a Christian. We always have these Christian conversations when he's there because he knows I'm a pastor. And he does. Everybody walks in the room. Be quiet. He's a pastor. Don't say what, you, what I know you're going to say. He's just giving me a hard time. But he's a great guy. He's saying, he told me he was down on Market Square in Knoxville the week before. And he, he said, this just really rubbed me the wrong way. He said, there's this guy down there, and he's all dressed up real nice, wearing a coat and all that stuff, and he's got a microphone on, headset on like I got on, and he's got a portable PA system, and he says he's out there just blasting, screaming, preaching the gospel to everybody walking through there. And he said, that's perfectly fine, except while he's doing that, there's a, literally a guy sitting next to him 
who's holding up a cardboard sign that just says, I'm hungry. And he never acknowledged the guy. He's blasting everyone saying, you're going to hell because of this and that and that. While sitting next to him is a guy who says, I'm hungry. Now, I know sometimes there are those who do that and it's not genuine. But why is cynicism taken over for us instead of honoring that person and saying, you have value and sharing the gospel that way. Say, hey, let me lift you up and get you a sandwich. Subway is right there. I've done it myself. I know the cynicism creeps in. Because you look and you're like, they could get a house if they wanted to. They could get a job if they wanted to. Maybe they can't. And maybe it is because they have an addiction. Maybe it is because of bad choices they made in their life. Who cares? They have value in their life. And they deserve to be loved by us as Christians. You know, immigration is one of the biggest topics we have going on in our society right now. It's been that way my whole life. We're never going to answer it because our elected officials have no idea what to do. They just want to fight over it. It doesn't matter what your opinion is on immigration. Whether you think the border should be closed or whether you think they should be wide open, it doesn't matter. Because here's the truth. Every single person who comes in to our community, to our country, Every single one of them are made in the image of God and that Jesus died for them. The problem of addiction in our community is rampant in our community. And it's kind of under the radar. People don't pay attention to it because people hide it. And maybe they got into this on their own. Who cares the circumstance? We love them. And that's why you see us as a church pushing Hispanic ministers. We have to serve the people in our backyard. That's why you see Shane and Joy starting up an addiction group. Because it is a need that has to be met in our community and there's not many people meeting it. We have to love them. And it's a sacrifice. And Paul says we have to be committed to it. We have to have zeal, perseverance. We have to be on the front lines of ministry all the time. You do. I do. You're called to serve. You're called to daily sacrifice, to love each other and to love this community. But we've traded perseverance for passion. Joby Martin, again, the guy I mentioned earlier, he, he was talking about this topic and he says, when people in my church come up and I need them, we need help somewhere. And they'll say, I don't know if I'm real passionate about working in the parking lot. You got anything else that might, be, might make me interested? And he points out that we have lost what the idea of passion is because... We view passion as what I love to do. But in Scripture, passion is what you suffer for. You know, we talk about Passion Week around Easter. And it's not about Jesus going out and doing something he was really excited about. He was excited about the end result, I'm sure, but he was not excited about what's happening that week. It's all about sacrifice. And what we end up doing when we serve our passion is we serve ourselves, The things that we like. And when we serve ourselves, we lose our zeal. You can only serve yourself so long. Church, we need you to step up. Maybe there's a ministry in this church that there's no way that you want to serve in. We need you to step up. You're called to sacrifice for your family. We're your family. Now, don't take me wrong. I don't want all y'all teaching kids ministry. I mean, I've, I've heard that philosophy where everybody needs to spend a Sunday in kids ministry. No, some of you don't. Some of you need to stay as far away from kids ministry as you can because, well, we won't go there. If your gift's not to teach, don't teach. But everybody can put a smile on their face. I mean, if you can't. We need to talk about that. And everybody can stand at the door and just make people feel loved when they walk in. 
All of you all better be able to pray. If not, you're not a believer. There are places we need you to step up and to serve and to sacrifice. And it's not about our passion. It is about what does the church need to reach the community on mission. True love shows honor. And in that, we have to be committed with our zeal, our perseverance, and outdoing others in honor. True love is hopeful. Skip down to verse 12. Paul says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And then if you go down to verse 14 and read through, he kind of gives some examples of what this persecution can look like. He says, bless those who persecute you. Well, that sounds backwards. Bless and do not curse them. Who's got a temper problem? Don't raise your hand. An anger problem. I can tell you some of you do because you yell at me sometimes. Uh, Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. It doesn't say just your friends and your family. Everyone, rejoice and weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Not haughty. I don't know how to pronounce that word, but it's not like they're a haughty. It's don't be haughty. Um, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, that's key. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So, you know, if you are in conflict with someone, do everything you can to patch it up, but it's not always on you. You know, sometimes you just can't patch it up, but do what you can to patch it up is what Paul's saying. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Now that sounds kind of mean, but really what he's saying is you'll heap salvation on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. True love is hopeful. There is no circumstance that is too difficult for Jesus. There is no circumstance that is bigger than the gospel. There is no circumstance that requires us not to love other people. And then he lists, you know, you got enemies, love the enemies. You got a fight, we'll fix it to the best of your ability. And he goes through all of that. No matter where we're at in life, love is hopeful. Because Jesus is hopeful. There is no hope apart from Him. And then lastly, true love shows hospitality. Back in verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You know, I've never thought about it this way until I was reading, studying the text this week. It's two different things Paul's talking about right there. And it's actually very important, the order that he lists them in. Because he says, first, contribute to the needs of the saints. Care for the family first. We take care of each other's needs. In the church, there should be no one who is in need. But I know that there are. In our congregation. We should meet every need that is before us. And a lot of times we don't meet the need because we're afraid, people are afraid to ask. It's embarrassing. I don't want to be a burden or, you know, it's just, it's awkward, whatever it may be. That's what we're about. We should meet the needs. We should bear each other's burdens. You know, to bear each other's burdens is not just to say, oh, I'm sorry you're going through that. I'll pray for you. It's, I'm there, whatever you need. I'll sit with you in the hospital. I'll be at the funeral. I'll at least go to the receiving of friends. I'll be there to support you. You've lost your job. Maybe I can't pay all your bills, but I, I can help a little bit here. We help each other in need. We know that because of a, passage that we refer to a lot 
Acts chapter 2. We focused a lot on verse 42 recently, but if you go down to verse 44, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, listen, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Because true love is attractive. And the outsiders wanted it. We care for the saints, and then Paul says, seek to show hospitality. Hospitality, in biblical terms, is for the outsiders. We love non-Christians. Question that came up in my study this week that hits close to home because I don't have a great answer for it. When's the last time you invited someone to your house who's not a Christian? And shared a meal with them with no agenda other than to be friends with them. Most of us don't do that. How well do you know your neighbors? It's hard to know neighbors nowadays. Lives are so busy. How many of your friends are not Christians? I believe what Paul's really saying is increase your circle. Yeah, we got to have a core group around us who will support us and help keep us in the faith. But we got to increase our circle to include non-Christians. Tell you what I've learned recently, evangelism doesn't work in those that old school way where you're beating on, on doors and saying, hey, let me tell you how you're going to heaven. That's not how it works. It was never that way in Scripture, very rarely that way in Scripture. It's relationships. It starts with loving each other. Throughout that chapter of Romans, I told you, Romans 12, I told you last week, there's really two principles that Paul lists in that. And it's our core principles as a church. Love God, that's what we talked about last week, the importance of fully committing to that, and love people. Fully surrendering to that idea. Not just some platitude we throw out there. And love isn't a feeling. It is an action. And we love people. Surrender daily to God. When you get up tomorrow morning, Lord, help me surrender to you today. My life is yours. But it doesn't stop there. We surrender to the church. We're family. We jump in and we say, how can I help? And then we surrender to those outside the church, to the community. It's kind of weird. I ordered these shirts six weeks ago. They just came in this week as we're talking about this idea. And this is our... You know, every year we kind of have a thing we're focused on for the year. And I told you at our annual meeting, we're focused this year on getting outside of our own heads and loving our, our, our community. Love and kindness. That's what we're doing. Are you on board for that? If you are, you need to serve. If you are, you need to show up to go Saturday. If you're available. I know some of you may not be. It's daily surrender. In, in Psalm 36, verse 7, the psalmist writes, How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. The King James words that unfailing love is loving kindness. It's love and kindness. So where do you turn from here? If you really want to surrender to the Lord like you're being called to do. Where do you turn from here? It is a full-on commitment.
Surrender and sacrifice daily to your Lord, to your church, and to your community. And then make progress in your faith. We've, uh, we've changed our, our methodology of how we are wording um, our next steps here at the church. But if you want to know how we would word it here at the church, the first thing is to choose community. In other words, number one, maybe you've been attending this church forever and you've never joined. Well, join. Become a part of us. You know, if you're here, God's put you here for a reason. And if he's not calling you to be a part of this church, we need to help you find the place he's calling you to be. Because you are called to be a part of a body. So commit. Join in to be a part of the church. We, we do our welcome home parties fairly regularly. We have one coming up. Uh, what's the, can you look on the date on, on the sign-up sheet, Jonesy? It's coming up sometime at the end of October. Sign up before you leave today. Come to our welcome home party. See what it means to be a partner of Northview Church. And that doesn't mean you're joining that day. It means you get all the information that you need. 22nd, October 22nd. Sign up. Choose community. And it doesn't just mean choose the church. Get in a life group if you're not in a life group. Now, I'll be honest. We, we've had great response to our life groups this year. But all of you aren't in one. Get in a life group. Talk to Scott before you leave today. He will get you plugged into a life group. Amanda, she's not, oh, there she is. Well, you're not sitting with your husband. I was confused. Talk to Amanda. <laughs> she will get you plugged into a life group. And Scott will say, go talk to Amanda. She'll get you plugged into a life group. So choose community. Join the mission. You know, it's not just about showing up on Sunday mornings. You have to be putting in the effort to be a part of the church. And not just Northview Church, but the church. Come Saturday. Go Saturday. And some of you are like, I don't want to give my Saturday. I never do either. I'm telling you, every, every time we do a go Saturday, I dread it. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be transparent. I mean, I am going to be transparent. It's, uh, it, I mean, Saturday's Saturday, right? But I never regret it. You know, every, every time when I'm leaving, I'm like, man, I'm glad we did that. I met some new people, or I got to hang out with a group of people I love and sing, sling, swing a sledgehammer. I mean, it's always fun. We always do something. Or I got to go and I met somebody while I was praying for them or I was blessed through hearing somebody else's prayer. Come to go Saturday and join the dream team. That's what I'm calling our volunteers now because they are the dream team. Are you serving anywhere? Most of you are. But some of you aren't. Join the dream team. Step up. Find somewhere to serve even if it's not your passion. Serve. Anywhere. We can use you in a number of places. We need help. The next step, give generously. Oh, he's going to talk about money. Yeah, a little bit, but it's not just about your money. You know, if you're not tithing, you need to tithe. That's a biblical principle. So give. But give generously is not just to the church. It's helping your neighbor when they need help. It's helping the guy sitting down on the, on the ground in Market Square while a preacher stands next to him not acknowledging him, saying, here, I'll, I'll buy you a sandwich. Give generously. The next one, invite a friend. Invite a friend to your house. Invite a friend to church who you know is not in a church or that's in a terrible church. Like, be No, I'm not going to say that. No, they're a great church. I'm just playing. Invite a friend. You know, people don't come to church because they hear me on, online. A few do, but not very many. They come to church because of you. And I always go back to when I was in youth ministry. I got all puffed up because we went from four youth to six, uh, 60 in about a year and a half. I baptized 30 middle schoolers, and I thought, wow, I'm awesome. I did nothing. They invited their friends. They were sharing the gospel. It wasn't me. And God showed me that pretty quickly and brought me back down a few notches. Invite a friend. When's the last time you said, hey, I will sit with you at church today. And you know what? Give generously. So I'll buy your lunch after if you'll come with me. And you may be saying, you know how much I make? I ain't got money to buy their lunch. Okay, tell me. I'll buy their lunch for you. They don't even have to know. Give generously. 
invite a friend. But it all starts become a Christian. You know, some of you come to church and you don't have even the slightest relationship with Christ. If you don't take that step, nothing else matters. I'll be honest, if that's a step you don't want to take, do something different on Sunday mornings. You know, go to the lake, go fishing. Don't waste your time here because it's not getting you anywhere if you don't want to follow Jesus. It's sacrifice and surrender to the gospel. As the band comes back up, and we close out this morning, what's the next step that you need to take? Where are you at in your faith? Maybe you need to serve. Well, there's a card. It's orange in the seat in front of you. It says, I'm stepping up. Put your name on there. We'll plug you in somewhere. Maybe you just need to become a Christian, surrender to Jesus today. I'm going to be down front, and I would love to talk with you about what that looks like. It requires sacrifice. Following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus is full daily commitment. If not, you're just following a cultural faith that has no depth to it. It's all in. Love God. Love your church family. Love people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we close this morning, I pray that you are right now leading the the people in this room or maybe joining us online of what step they need to take next to become fully engaged in your mission. Lord, whatever it is that they would have the boldness to to step out, to come and talk to me or another elder. If they would have the boldness to just fill out a card and say, I'm willing to serve wherever you want me to serve, that I'm on board. Maybe it's just grabbing someone who they haven't talked too much at church and saying, can I take you to lunch today? We can't love each other if we don't know each other. Maybe there's some in this room who need to choose community. They need to join the church. Would you lead them to step out? They need to join a life group. Would you lead them to make that sacrifice of one night a week to meet with the other group of believers? But Lord, there's, in a group this size, there's always those in the room who need to take the first step and just know you. Lord, I believe there's someone in this room right now who you are tugging and just saying, would you step out? Because you have so much more to offer than this world has to offer. Lord, would you show them you are the better way? Would you give them the courage to come and to just ask the questions this morning? In Jesus' name. The Lord's calling you to respond. I'll be right down here on the front. Or maybe you just need to come and pray. Maybe you need to fill out a card. However he's leading you, would you follow him this morning?